We're in our series on God and my stuff, and you've had uh, some hands going up. Shame it's not an altar call, that would have been effective, <laughs> just, just, just for Bibles, that's good. Uh, we're, we're doing this church-wide journey on God and my stuff, and so our kids and kids' ministry have been walking with us through uh, the first week, looking at uh, moving from a paradigm of ownership of our stuff through to a paradigm of stewardship or being God's financial managers, we talked about last week. And hopefully you've had a chance, many of you in life groups, to start chewing some of this over, start talking about how it works and, and how it works in, in your own life and in your own group and community to start seeing yourself not as the owner, not as the sense of entitlement of everything that you have, but as a steward, as a manager, as a, as a financial manager on God's behalf. And our youth have been working away on this on Sunday night. And so it's just a great church-wide experience, and hopefully it will continue to be. So this morning, if you remember last week, I started by uh, lamenting about Wendy's, and many of you have really sympathized with me about that. I appreciate it. Thank you for your condolences. Um, But this morning, I want to start by talking about KFC. We'll just work our way through (laughs) the fast food chain. Because has anybody had a double down? Yeah. My goodness. That's that's a greater response than I usually get to anything, anything spiritual. Uh, the double, so I haven't had one yet, but uh, it's amazing, hey, the frenzy around the double down. It's just incredible. I went to try and get one the other day, uh, just purely for ministry purposes, obviously, just, <laughs> just, just, uh, just, you know, trying to experience the culture. Uh, but I, could, I didn't even manage to get one. I sat in the drive-thru at KFC in uh, Birkenhead, and it was longer than I've ever seen the drive-thru. It was just absolutely packed. Uh, so I was sitting there waiting, and uh, I'd already gone through BK drive through for Anna, and that was absolutely empty, not a car there. So it shows you something, hey, about just the hype around this thing. And uh, I, I hadn't been waiting there long in the drive through and a woman came out, not a staff member of KFC, just a customer, came out and announced to everybody that they don't have any more double downs, they've sold out. And you could just sense the disappointment, the collective <laughs> disappointment. So at which point I did a U-turn, because that was the only reason I was there. And I thought, man, this, it's just, it's huge. I mean, literally, it's huge. But it's, it's, it's really, when was the last time that any fast food product had that kind of media attention? I mean, KFC must be the envy of every other fast food chain at the moment. You know, everybody's Facebooking about it and Twittering about it. And it's just, the, it's, it's the big thing at the moment. And, and I say that because it's kind of a lead into what I want to talk about today. I think that the double down, gives us a little perspective on the type of culture that we're living in. And in particular, I think the double-down frenzy gives us a window into what it means to live in a consumer culture and what consumerism is all about. Uh, You've heard that word, consumerism. You know, we throw it around a lot. We talk about consumerism, and, and we've got a basic idea of what it means. But I think a lot of the time, we don't really understand how consumerism works and how much influence it's got in our lives. What we typically think is that consumerism and living in a consumer culture is about accumulating more stuff. More money, more possessions, more assets, more stuff. That consumerism is all about more. But I would say that is not the best way of looking at consumerism at all. I mean, think about the double down. It's not necessarily that you want to have more and more and more, although you might, But it's not that people just want to eat more and more food, more and more double downs. The key word, I would say, in understanding consumerism is not more, but next. This is the key. It's not about more stuff. It is about the next thing. 
That's why the double down is so intriguing. I mean, is it using any new ingredients? Is it using anything that KFC is not already using to make some other burger? In fact, it's using less. You can't even say it's a heart attack in a bun because there's no bun. It's just, it's just a heart attack in paper, you know, wrapped in paper. It is just, it's just a lot of it together. But it's the next thing. It's got this hype. It's got this media coverage. Your friends are eating it, and so you've got to have one. It is the next thing. This is how consumerism works. Consumerism says to you, look at your stuff. Look at what you are currently consuming. Look at the purchases you're making. Look at the experiences you're having. Look at the products you're buying and the stuff you own. And ask yourself, what is next? So what is the next travel experience that you haven't had? Where haven't you gone? Where do you want to go? Where, have you, where, where, where has everyone else gone and talk about it at the parties? Where, where have you got to go? Uh, consumerism says, look at your phone. What's the next model? Yeah, you might have an iPhone, but have you got the iPhone 4? You know, you've got to have the next. Otherwise, you just have this profound feeling of not keeping up. And what do you have to say then at a party? What do you have to say to your friends? You know, you just are being left behind and not in the rapture sense. You're just being left behind, of, you know, out of culture, out of the movement and the progression of consumer culture. Uh, look, at, look at the stuff. Look at, look at the size of your TV. Is it, are you keeping up? Is it the next thing? Have you got the next album? The, you know, have you got the latest Katy Perry album? Lady Gaga album's out tomorrow. Are you going to get that? Come on. You've got you've to keep up. You've got to keep going. What about the new restaurant that's just opened in town? Have you eaten there? Have you experienced the next thing? This is the psyche of consumerism. It is always leading us to the next thing. That is why the premium experience in a consumer culture is not purchasing, it is shopping. It's making a lot of sense to the guys in the room right now. It's, <laughs> The, pro, the, the premium experience, and it is not about purchasing stuff, because as soon as you purchase stuff, what happens? You've got to have the next. But it is the pursuit, it is the chase, it is the search, it is the journey toward the next thing. Shopping is what consumer culture is all about. It is about chasing after what is next. And it's true that Consumerism, as we experience it today, has only been around about 100 years or so. It's kind of a product of post-First World War I America. But the raw materials of consumerism, this basic insatiable thirst and quest for the next thing, has been around for a long, long, long time. It's been around for millennia. It's been around as long as human beings have been around. And so what we find in the Scriptures are discussions of consumerism, maybe not in the unique sense that we experience it today, but discussions of consumerism as this basic human search for the next thing and this basic human pursuit of what I don't already have. So I want to take you to another parable. We looked at a parable last week of Jesus, and today I want to take you to Luke 12, another parable that Jesus talks about where he addresses this issue. He's not directly speaking to people that live in a consumer culture like us. Obviously, the first century was very different. But the basic issue of greed and the basic issue of seeking the next thing is very relevant and speaks into what he's saying. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, speaking of Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. 
the ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. So we have this guy who is uh, uh, some sort of farmer and he has a, a bumper year with his crops and produces an abundant harvest. So all of a sudden he is crazy wealthy. He's crazy rich. And by the way, that's not wrong. There's, n- there's nothing in here that's rebuking the guy for being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having the abundant harvest, nothing wrong with having a lot of money. None of that is the issue. The issue is how he responds to this. The issue is what he does with the fact he's got so much, um, so, so, so many crops now, no place to store his crops. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Now notice, he doesn't want more barns, does he? This is the whole deal. He doesn't want more. What does he want? The next In fact, he's quite willing to tear down his existing barns in order to build bigger barns. This is not just about the accumulation of more and more stuff. It is about having what he doesn't already have. It's about the bigger and the better and the faster and the newer and the more fashionable and the sexier and and, and the sleeker and and the smaller and the whatever. It's about the new and improved. He wants the bigger barns. He wants the better barns. This is how it is in a consumer culture. It is always about that thing that you don't yet have. And the byproduct of this is a deep dissatisfaction with the stuff you do have. So this guy has been happy with his barns until now. No problem with the barns. But all of a sudden now, he gets this idea in his head because of the abundant harvest that he can have the bigger barns and then suddenly the barns he's got are not enough. By holding out to you the promise of the next thing, what our consumer culture does is generate within you a deep dissatisfaction with the stuff you currently have. This is why Charles Kettering, who who worked for General Motors, said the key to economic prosperity is the organized creation of dissatisfaction. Are you feeling ripped off yet? This is, this is what's happening. This is the culture. We're living in it. We don't see it. The organized creation of dissatisfaction. This is how marketing works. This is how advertising works. It is convincing you the stuff you have is not good enough, not safe enough, fast enough, patriotic enough, secure enough, relaxing enough, whatever. It's not enough. You've got to have the next thing. And this is why you could be perfectly content with the ladder in your garage. And then you see the infomercial for the super duper 67 ladders in one ladder, you know? And then all of a sudden you go look at your ladder and what happens? This ladder's pretty stink. This ladder is not up to the job. This is not going to, all of it, you were fine with the ladder yesterday, but now the ladder is inadequate because you've seen the great ladder. This is why you watch one of those ads on TV for the, the super king size bed. And you go to bed that night and you're like, why is this bed so small? Why is this queen size bed? I've never noticed this before, but all of a sudden, you know, why is this so tight and so small? It's because all of a sudden you have seen the promised land. You've seen the super king. You've seen the California king, whatever it is, you know. 
and that's all now you can, you've got it in your head. Even if you can't afford it, the question is not affordability because you can stay up at night for years just dreaming about the next thing. It's having it in your head. It's have, you know what the next car is you're going to own, right? You know what the next, you know the next house that if you can you know, get the money together and pay off this and, and then you can get here. You, we have in our minds all the time the next thing. And so the current thing is never, ever enough. There's a profound dissatisfaction with the stuff that we currently own and the stuff we currently have. So what happens is we are far more prepared to throw stuff out, throw stuff away in order to get the next thing. See, we make the mistake of thinking in a consumer culture, people become more attached to material things. In fact, the opposite is true. In a consumer culture, people become more detached from the stuff that they own. We've got a very fleeting relationship with the products we buy. We're far more willing to discard them, dispose of them, throw them out, and upgrade them because our culture is constantly alluring us with the next thing. We have become a disposable culture. We're throwing stuff out faster than ever before. We're upgrading stuff faster than ever before because you're seeing the next thing. Your computer software and hardware needs to be upgraded more and more regularly. You've got to upgrade the phone. You've got to upgrade the whatever. On and on it goes. So we are becoming more and more detached from the stuff that we buy, in the relentless pursuit of the next thing. Welcome to consumerism. Welcome to the wonderful world of living in a consumer culture. And at the same time that consumerism is convincing you that you are dissatisfied and unhappy with the the products you're currently consuming, it is holding out to you the promise of the next thing, and it's putting in your head a little picture of what life's going to be like when you buy the next thing. Because then... See, consumerism has its own version of heaven. Its own version of new, the new creation where you will be fulfilled and you will be content and you will be safe, you'll be happy, you'll be secure, you'll be popular, you'll have friends if you will just purchase this product. And of course, when you're, when you're seeing advertisements, it's not products that are being sold to you. It's lifestyle, it's status, it's sex, it's power, it's patriotism, it's security, it's the safety of your family, it's values. It's a particular type of life. And that life apparently is attainable by purchasing a particular product. You see this all the time. Watch, watch the ads. Watch them with new eyes and see how this works. What is it that is being offered to you? I mean, deodorant ads are a classic for this, aren't they? I mean, apparently if you buy particular brands of deodorant, you will have copious amounts, members of the opposite sex physically running after you all day. They'll be hanging off you, they'll be chasing you down the street while you're just trying to get to work. All because, I mean, how close would you actually have to be to someone to even pick up what brand of deodorant they're wearing? That would already be an awkward moment. (laughs) But apparently this happens so often that if you just wear the right deodorant, you're going to be chased by members of the opposite sex all day. That's a version of heaven. This is consumer heaven. Relationship, sex, and popularity is what's being sold there, not a brand of deodorant. brand of deodorant is a narrow doorway to get to this lifestyle, to get to this thing. So when you look at this whole sweep, I would argue that what consumerism does is creates a religious story. It, it, it constructs for us an entire narrative of how we see our life. It tells you what it means to be human. What does it mean to fundamentally be a human being? It is to be a consumer. I shop, therefore I am. We are defined by our purchasing decisions. 
We are defined by the products that we consume. Consumerism is no longer just a thing we do. It is who I am. It is an identity. It is defining me in this culture. And then consumerism tells us what's wrong with the world. It's got its own version of the fall. What's wrong with the world? You're consuming the wrong things. You're making the wrong purchases, or you've purchased stuff, but you're not yet getting the next thing. You haven't upgraded yet. You haven't got such and such. We have become consumers of the wrong products. And so conveniently, consumerism then comes along with its own narrative of salvation and redemption. It is redemption through shopping. It is redemption through purchasing. It is redemption through the whole process, the cathartic process of retail therapy, purchasing the next thing in order to usher in the new heaven and the new earth, the consumer paradise, whatever, whatever version. <clears throat> you see how this is an entire religion? It's an entire religious system. And we buy into it. Not, I'm not just talking about non-Christians. Christians buy into that. We have baptized consumerism and we've called it some kind of pseudo-Christianity. Mark Sayers is, a, is an author and a speaker in Australia. He talks about how in some of the rural villages in Indonesia, you, you ask people, what religion are you? And they'll say, I'm Islam. Emphatically, Islam. But when their daughter gets sick, it's not the mosque they go to. It's the local witch doctor because he's the one they really believe has the power to heal their daughter. He said, it's the same thing in Chile. What religion are you? Catholic. The official, the formal religion, Catholic. But when someone in your family is struggling or sick, it's not the church you go to. You go and leave an offering at the shrine of an Aztec god. See, there is a formal religion. There is a high religion that we have. And then there's what gets you through the day. And I would argue that for many of us, our official religion, our formal religion, maybe Christianity, but our folk religion, our day-to-day -day religion, our practicing religion is consumerism. That's what gets us through the day. That's what calms us down at night, thinking about the next purchase. That's what gets us through depression and anxiety, going to the mall, getting a nice haircut. That's what makes us feel better about ourselves. It's retail therapy. It's salvation at the altar of the shopping mall. This is how it works. Our official religion may be going to church, going to the life group, doing the things, singing the songs. But at a lower level, at a day-to-day -day level, it is consumerism that drives us and determines so many of our decisions day-to-day. -day. So how do we respond to this as Christians? How do we respond to this whole religious narrative of consumerism that that our society has somehow constructed around us? I would say the answer is in the last three words that Jesus says in this, in this parable. He, he says, this is how it will be. It's a pretty negative scenario for those who store up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. In those three words, rich toward God, there's another, there's another way. There's another story. There's another whole way here of being human, being rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? What does it mean to, to have that disposition of, of being rich toward Him, not rich toward the world? I would say a good place to start is in something that we're going to do in just a few minutes, the act of communion. You think about communion. It's interesting that when Jesus, the night before Jesus died, He has this meal with His disciples. And after the meal, He gives them bread and He gives them wine. What He is doing is, is giving them something to consume. Jesus, at the Last Supper, is making his disciples into consumers. 
He is giving them material things, bread and wine, to meet physical needs. But think about the type of consumers that Jesus is producing in that moment. He's not generating consumers that are just relentlessly pursuing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. What Jesus is offering them, what Jesus is offering us, is himself. What Jesus is giving us in offering us his body and his blood is the one thing that will deeply and truly satisfy and fulfill the human longing that we have for rest, for security, for enough. Jesus doesn't offer us another thing. Jesus doesn't offer us another product. He doesn't offer us another commodity. He offers us himself. He offers us himself as the all-satisfying one. The one we're all striving and all pursuing and all this relentless clamoring after the next and the next and the next. All of it comes to an end in this meal of communion. That's why we do this thing every week. You know, we, we barely even think about it. But this is such a subversive act. This is such a countercultural activity. To take this wafer and this little cup, which basically says to the whole narrative of consumerism, it is bankrupt. It is hollow. It makes such extravagant claims. And it's such an extraordinary letdown because consumerism is absolutely committed to keeping us in a constant state of dissatisfaction. It's the irony of it. It promises you that if you just make this purchase, you will be satisfied, you will be fulfilled, but it's always the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's always just one purchase away. It's always just one choice away. That's why the the consumerism story, it leads you to depression and it leads you to a constant anxiety about your stuff and not having enough and not consuming the right things. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. Rest from this crazy pursuit that we lock ourselves into. The story that we subscribe to of consumerism that promises so much and delivers so little. Jesus says, come to me and find your satisfaction in me. And and here's the wonder of communion. Here's the wonder of the cross. That as we consume Christ, as we become consumers of Jesus, drink deeply, eat deeply of his body and his blood, we find that we are consumed by him. The consumer becomes the consumed. And he wraps his arms around us and envelops us and gives us that rest that we've been looking for all along. Satisfies us, not at the level of just having these kind of surface level wants and needs met, but at a deep, deep human level. That that, that restless spirit can finally be put to rest because we find the one in whose hand there are pleasures forevermore, in whose presence there is fullness of joy. Christ is the all-satisfying one. And it's as we start to become consumers of Christ, as we start to develop this deep relationship with Him and become more and more consumed in our thinking, in our speaking, in our living, in our attitudes by Him, then we can look back at this consumer story and we can start to poke holes in it. Our imaginations are so captive to it. We're just swimming in this water so much we barely even see it, but to, but to get some distance from this consumer narrative and look at it with fresh eyes we can start to identify just how hollow it is and we can shift. Here's the crucial shift we need to make. Those of us who who follow Jesus, it's shifting from this paradigm of next to a paradigm of enough. I have enough. I don't need the next. I don't need the next. I don't need the next. I have enough. Enough stuff. Enough. 
Listen to the words of William Kavanagh. He says, The extreme makeover is an ongoing process in the search for novelty, for bigger and better, for new and improved, and for different experiences. The shaving razor with one blade had to be supplanted by the double-blade razor, which was bested by the three blades, then four, now an absurd five and one razor. How can we be content with a razor with a mere two blades when the current standard is five? The economy as it is currently structured would grind to a halt if we ever looked at our stuff and simply declared, it is enough. I am happy with what I have. There's a huge challenge in there, isn't there? I feel the weight of that challenge. It is enough. I'm happy with what I have. See, enough is the one word that consumerism doesn't want to hear you say. It doesn't want to hear you say enough because then this is a confrontation to the, the whole system, the whole narrative, but this is precisely what the cross says to our culture of consumerism. It says enough. Jesus has done it. He is the once-for-all sacrifice. He has paid the price for us. He is enough, and therefore he has given us enough. Now, I know this raises all kinds of questions. How much is enough? And, and does that mean we should never treat ourselves and all this? And, and honestly, personally, I, I wrestle with that. And right at the moment, Anna and I wrestle with that because we're having to buy a whole lot of stuff because we've just moved into a new house. And there's an inevitable amount of stuff that we just need to purchase because we need to get this place functioning. And, and it's not a case of trying to draw lines in the sand and saying this is enough and that's not enough. It's so easy to judge, isn't it? So easy to walk into someone else's house and go, well, did you really need the TV that big? You know, <laughs> come on. Now, gee, obviously a slave to consumerism here, you know. And so we, we, we think this way, you know. We've written them off already. They're a pagan, you know, slave to the culture, you know. Whereas me, I've only got the 40-inch television. I'm far more holy, you know. This, this is all relative. Someone else going to walk into your house and think that you live an extravagant life. What might, you might feel is enough, someone else will feel is luxury. What one person thinks is enough, someone else will think is borderline poverty. It's all relative. This is about our heart. Isn't it? This is about an attitude that says, you know, I don't have to clamor after the next thing, and I certainly don't need to do it to keep up with what a perceived consumer culture tells me I should. I can look at my stuff and have a heart attitude of enough. Yes, I'm going to purchase things, and yes, we're going to treat ourselves, and that's fine, but this is a heart that is not greedy and is not relentless and is not restless all the time for the next and the next and the next, but is able to look at our stuff and say, it is enough. I'm happy with what I have because I'm happy in Christ. So just a few things, a few practical steps as we wrap up, just things to think about. And I'm reluctant to even give kind of practical guidelines because they look so different for, for every person. But just a few beginning basic steps. Firstly, watch, I know this will sound weird, but watch ads together as a family and critique them. Do this as a life group. Maybe do it in your life group this week. Watch a series of advertisements and talk about them. Because what there needs to be here a process of unmasking. It's like pulling back the curtains and exposing the Wizard of Oz, you know, this little puppet master behind him. Talk about the ads and ask yourselves together, what is this really selling me? What's really going on here? Is this really just about life insurance? Is that what's being sold? Safety, security, whatever it is. What what is the what is the status that goes along? This is not just about owning a beamer. This is about Status. This is about recognition. This is about whatever it is. Critique it. Expose it. Pull back the curtains. Figure out what's really going on and poke holes in that consumer story. Talk together about just how ridiculous this heaven 
idea that they're setting up? Is this paradise? What are they really selling? Is that really realistic? Is that really going to happen when I purchase that product? Of course it's not. Learn to step away from the consumer narrative long enough that you can look at these advertisements, billboard, print ads, television ads, whatever, and critique and be able to identify critically what is really being sold to you. Number two, resist impulse buying. I know this is hard, but I think we're at our worst when we impulse buy because we really then posture ourselves as sitting ducks for consumerism. We're making the emotive decision in the moment, not well thought through. It's, it's often just a responsive mechanism to advertising, branding, packaging, whatever that is coming at us. Resist that temptation. Just take the time. I know it might be on sale. I know it's difficult to resist. I know if you come back tomorrow, I might not be there, but just hold fire, hold your breath, think it through, work it out. If you still need it in a few days, come back to it, but just cool down and resist that kind of impulsive tendency to purchase because in the moment it seems like you just have to have this thing. So talk about it together as a family and resist this kind of impulsive buying where we constantly, constantly have to have the next thing. And talk to God about your stuff. You know, bring him into the, to the equation. As, you, as you're making these decisions, as you're making these purchases, talk to him about what's going on. We often just leave God at a complete distance and assume that he's, he's totally disinterested in our stuff and in our purchasing decisions. Maybe actually bring him into the conversation. God, what are you... Th- I'm not talking about praying over whether you buy the double down or not. You know, we can, we can make these decisions, but just in, in the bigger decisions that we make, bring God into the conversation. Become aware of how often you're replacing things and how often you're upgrading things. And how often you're throwing stuff out. And ask yourself, does this really need to be thrown out just yet? Am I only throwing this out because I feel this impulse to have this next thing? I know that you can go to the other end of that spectrum. And Anna will tell you that I'm a shocker at the other end of the spectrum for holding on to things way too long, especially clothes. You know, we go out, she's like, why are you wearing this thing you wore when you were 15? You know, (laughs) surely it's had its day. It's already come back in fashion twice and now really... The third time, it's time to go. You know, so I, I, I'm I'm pretty bad over this end. But humbly, I would say, you know, there is a there is a problem at the other end when we just become so disposable with our with our stuff that we're constantly just throwing it out because we have to have the next thing. So somewhere in the middle there, there's a, there's a medium. But even just becoming conscious of how quickly we are detaching ourselves from what we currently have and purchasing the next thing, and ask yourself why? Why am I doing this? Is it because it's not functional? Or is it because I'm being drawn into this pursuit of the next thing? I love the way that the message version puts Romans 12 too. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Isn't that great? And that's what's happened to us. We've become so well adjusted to our culture, our culture of consumerism, that we've just fitted into it and we've sanctified it and baptized it and called it Christianity, but it is not. It is a a Trojan horse. It is fool's gold. And honestly, it's an indictment on us because the reason the consumer story has just taken hold in people's minds and hearts so much is because we've failed to tell an alternative story. We've failed to articulate well the compelling narrative of the gospel that confronts and critiques the bankruptcy of consumerism and replaces it with truth, replaces it with reality. And this is the opportunity we've got, is to tell and live a better story, 
a different story. Not one that offers fool's gold, but one that offers heaven on earth as we participate with Jesus in bringing about the real new creation in the present in all kinds of ways. One that tells us what it truly means to be human, to be in relationship with the living God through Christ. One that tells us what salvation is really about, taking hold of Jesus, consuming Him deeply and being consumed by Him. And one that offers real hope for our future and our ultimate future, not a hollow and dissatisfying hope that we never, ever arrive in. So may we live out of this a better story. May we tell a better story to others. May our lives show the people around us that we have enough, that we are happy with what we have because we are satisfied deeply and richly in Christ. And as we do these things and as we learn these practices, we discover what it truly means to be rich toward God as the alternative to a consumer culture. Shall we pray? Father, we... We, we just feel so trapped in this culture we're in and, and so bound up in consumerism, just feels like we're in this big machine that just keeps on churning. God, I pray you'd just give us new eyes this morning to see, see the hollowness of our consumer culture, the way that it drags us in to always clamoring after the next thing. God, give us courage to reject that. And Father, I pray that you would lead us more deeply into you, Jesus, that you would lead us to consume more deeply and more richly of your body and your blood. That you'd lead us to the cross as a first response where we're just amazed by all you have done. Not to give us the next thing, but to give us the one thing that is more than enough for us. We're so grateful that you've put an end to all striving and trying and having to keep up and having to impress. We thank you that it's so unnecessary now because you've offered us such deep fulfillment and you've given us back our humanity. And so, God, give us wisdom with the purchases that we make. Give us wisdom as we consume. Lord, we know we're in this culture. We've got to live. We've got to consume. We've got to make transactions. But give us the mind of Christ that we can somehow negotiate these these complex things and we can have our needs met and we can enjoy the life you've given us but help us to resist this consumer story. And instead, God, would you give us the courage to look at our stuff and say, it is enough. I am happy with what I have because I'm satisfied in Christ. Give us that mindset, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.